was lucky enough to meet Bell digitally. And as we started, we had a couple of conversations on some topics that we both love. Design, innovation, startups. And to me, Bell is one of those rare persons that you just feel comfortable in talking to. And she's a fantastic professional. And I'm super fascinated how she was able to convert her passion for designing to a fantastic career in a field that is not necessarily uh, known as the epitome of design. My name is Gianluca Cinquepalmi, you're listening to GLC Live, my podcast dedicated to business design. I'm an educator, design entrepreneur, and best-selling author. This show is dedicated to designers, creatives, and entrepreneurs that, like me, want to inspire, challenge, and disrupt the business and design industry. This episode, Business Design, with Bel Barreiros. Ciao, Bel. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for the invitation. I'm really glad to be here. <laughs> so it's fantastic. Actually, I want to give a little bit of background and... Bell is recording from Brazil. I'm in Milan, so I deeply envious that in Brazil you are able to go and have some interesting time on the beach. So, Bell, let's begin by saying your unusual, I would say, role in, in a venture capital. You are a business designer in United Ventures, which is one of the most renowned venture capital firm in in Italy, and their mission is to support visionary entrepreneurs to reinvent industries through technology. Design is quite an unusual role in a venture capital. Can you tell us a little bit more about your role and what you do and maybe a little progression of your career as well? Absolutely. This is actually one of my favorite topics, so you're probably going to have to gonna stop me at, at some point. I know it seems unusual for VCs to have an in-house designer, but the top tier VCs that six, seven years ago like already recognized the value that having someone with a design background could offer to the activity. In 2010, one of the first VCs to have a design in residence was actually Google Ventures with Braden Kovic and then Zon Zeratsky. It was actually at Google Ventures that Zeratsky wrote the design sprint process yes. to support many of the most their most successful investments such as Slack, but this is not a topic for the moment. Then around 2014, there was like a design boom in, in venture capitals in which the major VCs started assuming big names, such as Kleiner Perkins had Joe Maida, Sequoia Capital hired James Buckhouse, Greylock hired Bobby Goodlatte, and, and, and so on. So point here is not name dropping, it's just to show that the most prominent VCs firms understood that as technology was increasingly uh, becoming a commodity, design becomes a differentiator from these products and, and companies. And that is why they acknowledge that it was ex essential to have someone right at the beginning with the design eye. For those that are interested in these two topics, like startups or venture capital and design, I truly recommend a book from Irene Yaw that is called Design and Venture uh, Capital, in which it tells a little bit of the story. But Nice. Getting back to yes. my story, United Ventures is a different venture capital. I would say one of the partners and founders came from Google. He was country manager of Google right at the beginning. So I think that the design DNA was since the beginning part of our company. And so inside I have 
three core activities, so macro areas. First, I'm responsible for our inbound deal flow. So okay. basically sorting through everything that we receive and identifying potentialities. <clears throat> you have to remember that in VCs, we are dealing with the unknown, right? In the markets, sure. in the products, innovation, and there are almost none or few benchmarks that it can support in our decisions to create Excel analysis into deciding, hey, okay, this company would definitely be a hit. And I think that's where the design background comes in hand because our core activity as designers is to build in shape, something that doesn't exist yet. So yes. we're quite comfortable with the unknown. <laughs> so that's one of my core activities. But then I do also have design support for our portfolio. That is actually a great part of a VC activity that is to strategically support your portfolio in their business activities. And so I provide a portfolio with this kind of support in core moments, such as we're talking about rebrand, building the design marketing team in-house or uh, reshaping content, product UX and so on. And then finally, of course, uh, kind of in-house our own design activities that can go from like simply managing our brand materials, but can also cover bigger projects that usually also involve third party suppliers, such as last year we had a rebrand and this year for more projects, we are developing our own CRM internally. Mm -hmm. So I'm also part of, of that, that uh, development. So basically, you you serve many different roles and you you wear many different hats. Just to to summarize, so you are saying the first part is managing the deal and and fostering being a catalyst for conversation with the mindset of design, which is trying to bring people together. I remember you told me a wonderful story that you were helping people coming from different backgrounds, finance and products to, to actually discuss and open the conversation. So here is where the design uh, mindset comes into play. Then the second part is, of course, supporting your portfolio companies, giving advice, like all the venture capital, they want to boost their company's portfolio. And so you guide them and you give them advice in terms of reaching product market fit, which we'll discuss in a bit, I hope. And then the third part is, of course, managing all the design needs of the venture. They are becoming surprisingly really good at it because I remember back in the days when I was helping startups and I was looking at the website of, you know, even big venture capitals like Sequoia Capital or, or Greylock, like you said, their website, they were very finance oriented they look like a finance company and now surprisingly in the past years they all become much more empathetic they did a, a lot of work on their image as well because they do recognize how design communicates in a different way so bell i have a my own definition of business design when we let's say you are wearing the first and second hat when you are helping companies um, what, what's your definition of business design? Because I believe still in these days is a little bit mysterious. So it's not totally business, it's not totally design. So what is this weird new practice that is arising from the hashes of, of design thinking, I would say? <laughs> uh, 
I, I think my own definition would quite go on the direction that you're saying as communicating through different people with different backgrounds. I would say that a business designer is a translator. And I know it might seem abstract and not help our <laughs> class, since you're saying, I'm afraid that, and I agree with you, I'm afraid that design and its related terms have followed the curse of buzzwords, making them lose their meaning and has becoming almost just trends, almost not real jobs and getting people confused and afraid of asking as if it was something like, or you get it or you don't. So in order to make a little bit of justice to our professional class, yes. I'll, I'll try to give you a more consistent answer. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that a business designer is someone that technically understands, so the person has the knowledge of three core aspects of a business. First, you understand the market. And then here, of course, you can, someone called desirability or the famous product market fit. But it's not only about that. We're talking about how the brand or the company itself answers to this market. We're talking about positioning, identity, tone, competitors, target user, and so on. Then the business designer has to understand the product itself. So apart from understanding the classic product design that I'm not going to enter here in details, but you also have to understand the feasibility of it, if it can be built, how it's built, if there's another way of building it. In my case, since we invest in digital companies, you're talking about understanding from UX, UI, front end, and to back end and lots of technology, even coding, I have to understand. And then the third part, you have to understand the economics, the ability of the thing, or what I like to call, you need to be able to read Excel sheets. <laughs> Fantastic. And I think that's quite the big water, that the, the great difference between just designers and in just business designers. I, I think it's the ability of, of understanding the holistic view of, of everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, this is something that I've been discussing a lot there. I think you described perfectly what we call the innovation nexus, right? The feasibility, viability, and um, desirability of, of a product. So I think IDEO was one of the first that idealized this concept. And they were promoting the idea that design thinking existed in the intersection of this. But I feel business design is the evolution of that. And this is why... I always say the business design raised from the ashes of design thinking because design thinking now arrived to a point where is the idea creation and is a wonderful process for the idea creation. But business design grounds those ideas into, okay, how do you physically deploy these ideas that you generated? And for the past years, or <laughs> I would say I was trying to redefine the nexus but i couldn't find a fit so i started thinking oh maybe there is branding for desirability then you have business strategy for viability and then you have i got lost <laughs> and ah, you have technology for feasibility trying to manage this but i couldn't find a better definition than the actual nexus and i feel this is the, the, the definition that I came when I, like I said before, I had my own definition. 
I feel, and I wanted to to see what do you think about. I always say that the goal of business design is to satisfy human needs meeting the business goals. So here is the big change of what we call design-driven organizations, where their goal, their focus is meeting the, the human needs and meeting at the same time concurrently the business goals, which is it's a different approach. You're not only focusing on the product, but you're also focusing on the jobs and on the people, which is a slight uh, modification. And I wanted to ask you then, so you work with a lot of startups and some in their, in our early discussion, we talked about the, the most important success factors or what lead to failure in startup companies. And in our discussion, we were talking about, yes, of course, product market fit is important. The branding is important. The feasibility of the activity is important. But you told me something that really struck a chord. And you were saying, to me, the most important part is company culture. Can, can we talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. Yeah. We at Night Ventures, we are strong believers on people first on, on yeah. team. At a point at which we can see a company that has perfect product market fit, there's a market that is booming, the solution is amazing, great UX, but we don't see a potential or we don't see a fit on, on the team and mainly on the founders don't invest there was and i think that it's a lot of related also to the design of the thing because as you said about when you were giving your definition on business design and you mentioned the human aspect of it the, the, the human uh aspect and, and as a designer like user-oriented and, and then for the business itself i think that's in terms of business design, the human element <laughs> of that. And uh, I remember my boss when, the, when, when he was giving uh, a pitch. I, I, actually, I wasn't even working in my adventures was when I met him. And he was giving a pitch at a university and, uh, for designers. And then he was saying that one of his main elements to choose if he wanted to invest or not in a company was if he could imagine a long flight with that founder in oh, which he was enclosed in a small space and had to talk to, to this person. And if he couldn't imagine that or, he, or if the imagination would be a negative one, he wouldn't invest. And that also struck me <laughs> in, my, in, in my mind. And uh, I think that's basically it because then it goes beyond just talking if you like the person or not but if you believe that this person is able to lead mm -hmm. the company and i think we, i mentioned with you when you were discussing like strategies to identifying or classifying companies and trying to see their potential by tools we're discussing all this and i told you that one of the elements that we were trying to analyze was actually the founders because we divide our uh, investment strategy into the product the market and of course the team and we were trying to identify elements in founders that could 
could, could lead to, to success. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to look at cases of success and trying to see how the, the, the founders were, what they were doing. And until one of my colleagues got to, he summarized everything because I was saying like, how do I classify that in a meeting? How, how do I identify these points? They're really sometimes in terms of quality, not in terms of quantity. And then he said, Bell, if in five minutes of the meeting, you're not inspired <laughs> by, okay. by their speech, do you think they're going to be able to inspire the team into their culture? And then, of course, the, the brand inspiring the, the users. True. And... For me, that, that, said it that all. was the best definition. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, this is something that I encounter quite often, uh, strangely enough, in, in the past year, actually. I, I've been doing a lot of advisory for startups for some reason. I, I just I stumbled into it. I, I, I didn't necessarily want it to do it. I just, it happened. And after so many years in teaching, I was surprised at, one thing that basically all these startups, the the first thing that we were uh, discussing pretty much every meeting, they were pop out the their investor deck or uh, this magic document, you know, the, the, those 15, 20 slides. And they were saying, oh, we have done this and this are projection and everything. And uh, I, I was looking at these decks and I was advising all these founders and I said, the formula of the deck is pretty much known. You can go on, the, I think the most famous one is the business plan top 10 slides that, that Sequoia published that every single one does. And, and this kind of information are common. And then I said, okay, now you can follow the recipe, but are you actually choosing the right ingredients to put into the recipe? Because the Sequoia Capital list of, okay, you need to have 10 slides and you have to have, you know, the product, the team and the financials and the business model, yada. And and, okay, fine. That's great. But are you communicating that concisely? Are you communicating that in the right way? And do you have the the right spices i would say if we want to use a food analogy you know inside this deck and surprisingly enough not everybody is accustomed to that okay the formula but then what goes inside is a totally different story and i think this leads links to to what you were saying is the inspiration is the value is the company culture and you're saying look i'm building this thing for sure, you want to get funded because if you are talking to a venture, that's the goal. But if that founder or that team really believes that the product or service that they are providing really will make an impact, it makes a huge difference. And, and their ability to communicate, it becomes more and more essential in a way, I think. And I was fascinated by your definition and before you were saying okay the business designer is a translator maybe this is where the business designer comes into play to try to unravel these parts of the famous deck that said okay how do you link these things together and Uh, absolutely you we were having also this discussion linking to this idea of the recipe we had a wonderful talk about models in particular we were talking about business models and it happened that last week I gave 
a lecture on in my alma mater uh, on a course of uh, management information system and we talked about business models can we talk about a little bit about this idea of the models are they useful they are not useful how important they are and what do you believe on that so here specifically you're you are referring to like canvas and this kind yes, of yes 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 Okay, that is quite funny. You, you know what my answer is going to be because you know me. Just getting a little bit back on what I was saying that unfortunately for our professional class, some terms or some activities got into a hype or became buzzwords. And at the end of the day, they started losing their meaning, mm-hmm. you know, such as design thinking or such as design and then then ux and ui are going that direction unfortunately i think the same thing happened with these templates and these tools that were created to to i think they were created at the beginning with a good thing in mind you know in mind they were trying to help people that didn't have a design background into using giving there some direction or mm-hmm. process because at the end of the day any professional class or anything ends up in creating kind of process in order to help into activities and i think this these tools they were created in order to try to simulate how we in our daily basis go from abstract to concrete that's what is saying that we kind of use and really comfortable with on the unknown. That's why they were created. And of course, we as designers know that the process of visualization helps a lot in yes. understanding and identifying. My problem with these templates is that they became a template. For People template started sake. using that, especially in universities, that they <laughs> started giving this kind of tools. And they people start like compiling them or, or producing them, just compile them. And that's not their purpose. Their purpose is to help you organize your thoughts and by visualization, okay, understand what's your next steps. And what I see in, the, in lots and lots of uh, startups, and here, of course, I'm speaking uh, more specifically for seed ones, ventures, it's early stage. So there's a big difference, huge difference from startups that are really at the beginning and startups that had jump or had been in incubators and so on because maybe they've been advised not to do it. Sure. Sometimes they put the business canvas and in the deck and that gets me so mad. It's like, <laughs> why? I'm not getting any information from that. That's a tool for you to you. create your business strategy, not for you to present to, to investors. It's you from this visualization that you get <laughs> to an idea or, or or a process and that's happened a lot and to add a little bit that's one of my favorite topics also you're yeah. talking about like pitches and and communication that is actually the first time as soon as i entered night ventures that was my first role we had a fund that was already going on we were in the exit period of the fund and so several of these, these companies were going to the rounds through C or I'm going to exit and they need to communicate that and when you follow Sequoia 10 slides pitch rule it actually it serves as, as a canvas as the thing as a tool it quite of works when you're talking about spe- specifically B2C kind of easier companies to explain but when you're going to be deep tech 
forget about these things like obstacles. So That's we had fantastic. companies inside us that were talking about cybersecurity in the firmware. Mm. Or, or we're talking about companies that are that had a new technology for streaming for a specific target for video streaming specific that has a lot of hardware and in the, the change we're talking about hops and, and catching and, and so on so technically that the 10 slides of rule of sequoia they're not going to work of course they are base to guide you into your storytelling and i feel that these kind of founders or companies are the ones that are struggling the most in presenting their endeavors mm -hmm. because usually they are really into their tech guys there's a lot of technology behind it they know that they know the effort of that the tech technology and they know how amazing the technology is but the investor on the other side of the table is not at that point of conversation interested in that level of detail of the technology sure. he wants to see the holistic view, view of that and that's when our activities as designers usually come in hand more True. evident like more clearly i'm having actually this experience now i'm advising a tech com a fintech company and at one point we were having this discussion with this company and after months that we have been working you know, on the branding and on the communication I, I suddenly realized, I was like, wait a minute, but you're not actually building an app. You are building a platform that, and all the decks and all the, they never say this is an app, but the way that the content was laid out was leading the, uh, the reader. And I was, I'm absolutely ignorant in, in FinTech. I was just helping them to communicate and it was leading to the concept that their solution was an app while it was something that was existing inside of some other people's app. So it was actually a, a platform. And I had this realization at one point and I was like, wait a minute, you know how important it is to communicate the things in the right way. And when you were talking about the business model, and I have to say, I was guilty of that because I remember the first two or three times I taught the entrepreneurship class. I was using, of course, the business model canvas to, to give designers and creatives a framework. And I was surprised how difficult it was for these designers to actually wrap their head around on compiling the business model. And this is probably because I also had a, a financial background, so I knew the concept of profit and loss, and I knew the concept of customer segment and value proposition. And so I was struggling as a teacher and I was like, okay, how can I make them understand that this is not, the goal is not to compile the business model, but is to find alternative to something that is classical. And there is, I would say that the solution hides in plain sight, because if you actually read the the book the business model generation there is even if you look the proportion uh, one small proportion is dedicated to the canvas the rest is to the sense making of the canvas and i believe a lot of people just either they haven't read the book completely or they just focus on the very first part and they just oh, okay this is the canvas but the canvas like you said is 
is the tool, but it's the sense making of the canvas. So I change the way that I was teaching and I will spend, I don't know, like 10 minutes in explaining, okay, these are the sections. I also simplified the sections. And then I said, okay, now just map, for instance, a bakery. You need to create more value for the user. And I explained, okay, let's say that instead of having this standard canvas, you you ask your grandma, your grandpa, you say, okay, I noticed that you spend 10 euro or $10, whatever, in buying bread every week. What if we do a subscription? And I use, you don't have to come here. I just ship the bread to you. And doing that, I can reduce my cost because I don't have waste, etc. Et and then in that moment, people realize it was like, ah, that's a business model innovation. You know, that's a, that's a business model modification. So it's not the classic business model as you know it. And I believe this is something that is not talked enough, which is the sense-making process of, of the canvas or whatever tool you're going to use, because this is good for the value proposition, is good for the business model canvas, is good for, I don't know, the grow machines or any other tool that you can use. Yeah, absolutely. One point I think that, and I, I actually receive lots of these types of questions from, from designers, specifically these designers, is regarding the tools and the guidelines, how much my daily basis, how much do I use it with the companies? And I have to tell you, be honest, like the zero. tool itself, like <laughs> sitting with them and designing, doing zero. And now I'm going to tell you why. It's not because we're lazy, no, but for three, three reasons. The first of all, you have to remember that a VC we have a different role. We are not, we actually third type of class. We are not operative. Incubators, business angel, angels, they're much more operative. A VC usually by, by standard shouldn't be, especially because we get the company when it's in a different stage. It's not at the beginning, we're trying to expand the company. And if you have to be operative, it means that you probably made a bad choice regarding okay. the team that I mentioned. Second thing is we're not consultants. We're a little bit more still step step above that in terms that we are guiding the company or helping them reach there, but not as much. We can give advices and we should give advices and we actually do lots of them. But at the end of the day, the company is of the founder. And as I told you, Big, biggest element of investment of our choice is the team itself, the founder. So I do believe in, in, in uh, his, her vision. And if I give you my advice and this founder said, okay, point taken, but I truly believe in this direction and let's go in this direction. As an investor, I have to support that sure. at a point in which if I don't believe and said, okay, I'm going to put it out my money because I don't believe where you're going, you're not bringing results. It's not that we can enter and say you're wrong. So now let me do it. That being said, there's a third point that we don't have that much. When the company belongs to our portfolio, it's another story. But on uh, my daily basis on the, the deal flow that I told you, I don't have time to, to use these tools. I really, we need to be quick because we receive mm -hmm. uh, lots and lots of, of opportunities and rather than finding what is the potential you have to see 
that's not a confession and because of that and on that case i use the tools but not physically i use them in the interviews Mm. So first thing when you're doing the the this deal flow, this part of the the interviews I uh, told you, I for example use a lot of customer journey in order to understand. Okay, especially because United Ventures we are not verticalized, so we see from as I told you cybersecurity and firmware. So I need to understand what a firmware is until agritech or different types of fintech or even. We have, for example, one of our companies that does modeling mm-hmm. digital for drug discovery. So okay. it's another level of things that I have to study. And so I use this kind of the, the, the tools that I use from business design is research tools okay. that in my daily basis interview and customer journey. But I make the founder design and present me the customer journey by answering my questions. Sure. So I'm doing it in my head and guiding him and uh, or her and uh, same thing for value proposition. If in 10 minutes of meeting, believe me, that happens a lot. 10 minutes of a meeting, I didn't understand their business or their, who is their target user. I use this kind of questions in order to, to help mm-hmm. the founder believe, okay, you're not a communicator. You're, we're going to work on that on that side of you if you belong to our portfolio. But I need to understand if the person is not being able to answer me because they lack the skills of communication or because they don't know. It's so they, confusing. The, they like the they clarity. They so many parts. <laughs> yes. So that's what I use. When the company is part of our portfolio, then... It has happened that we, we do some kind of screen sometimes in order to help. But I've identified that, especially if it's us, if you hire a third consultant or something, it goes smoother. But if it's the investor itself, they can't get a tense. Mm. And this answer of just compiling by compiling or answering me just to answer me increases a lot. So I use the interview as if I was, hey, I'm just here to talk to you. We're not doing any work. We're just talking. They feel more relaxed. And even if there's, we have a lavagna blackboard in our office and I'm just talking to you, but at the same time I'm talking, I'm writing or I'm talking. So I'm doing the process without doing the process. There's no post-its in the office. Just... If I see a post-it, I'll throw it through the window <laughs> because they immediately get tense. <laughs> That's amazing. I, I actually work a lot with post-it. Nowadays, I'm working a little bit more with digital platform like Miro or Mural, but <laughs> I, I love it sometimes. Well, the, the, so yeah, actually what are you saying is just really inspiring to me because I now, uh, this is something I've been doing a little bit, but I, I realize I'm trying to patch the things that you were saying together and said, this is why one of the things that I do a lot with startup founders is trying to work with their grow machine. So instead of the business plan, trying to organize or well, Collins calls it the flywheel, the famous Amazon flywheel. And I think that's a really good exercise because that captures a lot like how a company creates value and generates value is not as easy as it seems to to actually lay it down but for a founder i would say that is a good starting point and so i believe i have a model somewhere in my website that i, I will link here and maybe that's a good starting point 
Um, I would like to, to spend another two minutes before we close. Let's go back one second to the, the company culture. What are the red flags that you see often that tells you mm, this company doesn't have a great company culture or there is something that they have to, to work on? That, that is a great <laughs> question and I'm not quite sure if my answer will be that. We almost the the typical answer of a designer. It depends, but trying to summarize a little bit what I've seen. As I told you, United Ventures uh, we enter in early stages team. So usually we're talking about an average of from six to twelve people. That's the average of the majority Science. of the companies that we're seeing. So in that case, of course, the company culture in in theory should be really bad because usually there are people that have been since the the birth of the company mm-hmm. and so i think in that case would be saying hey you have a great company culture yes of course you do because you build the company all together we what we have to think is the ability to scale that culture into the newcomers uh, that's one thing and that we covered by what i told you the founders and we clearly see that and unfortunately i'm trying to think on how and we're trying to create models to compute that transforming this from a gut feeling to actually a standard but it's clearly you see in the meetings it happens a lot especially with my colleagues that sometimes we have industry biases i don't i don't like cryptocurrency i don't like blockchain Sure. And then I go see the startup and the founder, like five minutes talking. I'm a huge fan of it. I want to invest. And in that case, you see, okay, Caspita, this guy, he's able to, yeah, to, to convince that. It's still hard to tack on what are the elements that create this. The other thing is, and I think that's more problematic if you do have that in your portfolio, it might have been a mistake on identifying the founder at the beginning is when the brand culture is the brand environment or, or the team is toxic or is wrong. Mm. It's not on what the market is asking or they have maybe like a bad dynamic internally into really hierarchical companies, the old model and old tradition divided in silos that they're not talking to each other and, and so on. That is usually a really huge red flag. Mm. And probably if, if you don't run and try to solve that and then enter the capacity and the ability of the investor, as I told you, being this advisor, but at the same time, what's your limit from being operative and, and talking to the founder? Hey, you're being toxic to your team. This is a huge problem at the moment that you have to quickly assess that and decide if you're going to be able to change the dynamic, yeah. it's really hard. And if you're going to set the plug and say, I'm going to disinvest from that. Nice. So if the last question I have for you, so what is your personal bell golden rule? You're laughing because you're, <laughs> golden rule because you're always talking about that. That's how Not I want sh- to close all my shows now. <laughs> <laughs> With that, I, so my golden rule and it goes for any country, any culture, anyone is please not mistaking the word design with aesthetics. Absolutely. Never 
ever. Not all designers are graphic designers or illustrators. We're talking about different different level and meaning of the the, the true meaning of the word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I always say and I add to that because that's a, such a wonderful golden rule that there is a, this huge difference between design is a practice and aesthetic is a principle. And and I was telling you this story that I had to I I learned this the hard way on my skin because when I moved to Asia, the aesthetics were very different, but the design process was pretty much the same. I just needed to tap into the principles that were pleasing for a different audience from the one that I was used to. And the last part is also, I love what you said before about the discovery of the unknown. And this is where I say most of the time, and and I explain most of the time, I would say with CEOs that ask me to do some workshops or work with their team about design thinking just because they believe this is the hot topic and i said look first thing first you have to understand business is usually implemented meaning that the parts that you are implementing are known so you know logistics works this way finance works this way hr works this way and by putting together all these little pieces like Lego pieces, then you can build a business. Because honestly speaking, if we look at the definition of business as canonical, a company, a venture that creates profit, you can do that pretty easily. Like you don't have to invent anything, just buy for five, sell for 10, 50% profit. That's a business. Whatever it is, pencil, diapers, chocolate buy for five sell for 10 if you are able to do this simple the microeconomics if I, I would say you have a business now discovering a business is a totally different matter which means you are venturing into the unknown and then that's why i say you are discovering businesses and this is i believe is the essence of business design that allows you to unlock and figure out new ways to create value for your customer and for your company. So uh, I, I would like to wrap it up. So first thing first, we discussed about business design and the business, the role of a business designer is a translator, which means he's translating the concept of business into the value for the people <laughs> in a way, correct me if I'm wrong. So that's the first point. The second point is the, the existence of business design between the famous innovation nexus of desirability, viability, and feasibility in whatever form. And the third macro point that I would say is actually you can have the best product, you can have the best product market fit, but if you haven't worked hard on your company culture and you are translating the values that drive you, then it's really hard one to get some investment to people to buy into that. And second, you need to learn how to sense make of all your great ideas so that you can inspire others. So I, I would like to, I, I close that in, in, in this, in these ideas. <laughs> so anything else we should add? Well, no, I think we covered 
basically of course you know me and i know we you could and talk. love these topics we could go on and oh, no. maybe we do another okay. episode when you have <laughs> when when you have time and when you will be back in milan that would be awesome we could do a coffee one uh, together Absolutely. <laughs> oh, it would be a pleasure Bell, thank you so so much for being here you have been wonderful as always this is GLC Live I'm Gianluca Cinque Palmi special thank to Bell Bajeros for introducing us to the concept of business design if you enjoyed this podcast and videocast please subscribe and comment to our podcast on YouTube or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts for references and links you can visit glc.live